Welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. We are on Jonah chapter 3 today, looking at our the third episode in our Jonah series as we study the third chapter. And before I begin, I will just say that um, my son is upstairs practicing piano right above me where I podcast. And the truth of the matter is that in a house of four kids and two big dogs, there is literally no quiet time in this house. And so I'm podcasting now uh, because it's the best time to do it, but it's never a perfect time. So I don't think you can hear the piano, but if you can, that's the deal there. So, so far in our, as we've gone through Jonah, we have looked at how God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not think that the people of Nineveh deserved to hear the message of repentance and forgiveness or even a message of God's mercy at all or even a message necessarily of God's judgment. He just wanted to get away from Nineveh. He did not want to go to Nineveh and so he went the opposite direction and the text tell us tells us that more than wanting to get away from Nineveh, he actually was trying to get away from the Lord. He found out that he could not get away from the Lord and ended up in the middle of a huge storm on the ship that was probably heading towards Spain to the west and ended up in the in the water because he was very honest with the sailors and said throw me overboard it's my fault and so he ended up in the water nearly drowning as we looked at last week or or actually not nearly drowning but he was in fact drowning and the Lord saved him by allowing a large fish to swallow him more than likely a sperm whale or a whale shark those are the best options that we know of and the Lord saved him and while the while Jonah was in the belly of the whale he came or of the great fish I should say in the belly of the great fish he came back into unity with God met with God in a time of great repentance and sincerity of heart and asked for forgiveness from God and praised God for offering him forgiveness. And then after three days, the Lord allowed or caused the fish to spit out or vomit out Jonah onto the land. We can assume that he vomited Jonah out onto the land of Palestine. And then Jonah had a 550 mile walk approximately to Nineveh where he was going to then obey God and preach. So that is where we're picking up today um, at chapter 3 verse 1. I will start just reading it. It's only 10 verses long. So I'll read chapter 3 and then we will go back and we will discuss it as we go. Again, I am reading out of the New Living Translation, which I decided to do before I realized that there is actually something in this text today that I'm going to disagree with the translation on, uh, but I think it'll make for great conversation. And so um, I will let you know as we go what what that is. All right, so Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I've given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 
Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back from his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so let's just go right to the top of that chapter and go through it. So the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I love this because it says, get up. And <laughs> it just makes me think that Jonah was, was he laid on the sand? I mean, the whale or great shark had just spit Jonah up onto the land. Did he sleep for a while after he landed on the land? Or like how much time did God give him? Or was he just hanging out, like, on the beach? <laughs> or where was he when God said, get up, <laughs> get up, and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you? Now, here's something pretty cool. Because in the belly of the great fish, Jonah had come face to face with his own sin and the fact that he had been running away from God, turning his back on God. And he turned back towards God in repentance and now that he has received grace and forgiveness and mercy and a second opportunity to obey God his heart is a little bit more ready right now to offer that same grace and forgiveness and kindness to another group of people Jesus tells us to forgive one another 70 times 7 just keep on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving he also says that if we do not forgive others then our Heavenly Father will not forgive us and our own repentance is so important for us being able to deliver a message of repentance and forgiveness to other people when we learn to forgive other people our heart is softened so that we then can repent ourselves and the Lord can forgive us because of our repentant hearts so when Jonah's heart was soft and repentant, he was able to receive that forgiveness from God, and then he was able to extend the opportunity of repentance and forgiveness to this people group that he did not want to go to. And so uh, it's just really interesting how that all works together. So in verse 3, it says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh. So it probably took a long time. So if he is on the shore of Palestine, Nineveh was about 500 miles plus away. So if he was going to walk 20 miles per day, which would be average, it would have taken over a month for him to get there. So this is a long journey. This is not like the next day that he gets to Nineveh. He goes on a very long journey. I would imagine that journey as well has a lot of trials and a lot of hardships on the journey. It's through the desert. 
there are mountains that he has to cross. It's it's difficult. Anyway, he finally gets to Nineveh, and it says that the city is so large that it took three days to see it all. Now, archaeologists know that the inner walls, the inner wall of Nineveh is about eight miles circumference and about two miles diameter. That is not so large that it would take three days to go through. We also learn in chapter four that there's about 120,000 people in the city that Jonah goes to. So we can assume that when he went to Nineveh, he also ministered and proclaimed the message of forgiveness and repentance to the neighboring cities around. So the whole region was large, included 120,000 people, and took three days for him to proclaim the gospel through. Now, again, when he gets to the city, it wouldn't be like he is marching straight through it and it takes three whole days to get through Nineveh and its surrounding towns, because he is stopping and preaching along the way. And in various places, he's having conversations with various people. He is taking his time once he gets to the city. So three days to do the min- the work of ministry there that he is doing, the proclamation of the message, uh, because he is pausing, preaching, walking, pausing, preaching, walking, you know, he's taking his time. So he preaches a message there for about three days, it sounds. Verse four, on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. How fascinating. These people are ready to believe. They are ready to trust God. They're ready to believe God, which is why God knew it was time to send them a prophet. I mean, God wouldn't have sent Jonah there if he knew that the city of Nineveh was not yet going to repent, if they weren't ready. And God knew that they were ready. One thing that is really fascinating that a commentary that I'm using says, this is the commentary that places the the time of Jonah going to Nineveh in a very specific year. It places it at 759 BC, so very specific. And it says that before Jonah arrived at this seemingly impregnable, impregnable fortress city, two plagues had erupted there in 765 BC and 759 BC. And a total eclipse of the sun occurred on June 15th, 763 BC. These were considered signs of divine anger, and it may help to explain why the Ninevites responded so readily to Jonah's message. So it would have been like right surrounding the time that Jonah went there. Two plagues and a total eclipse of the sun. So the people were afraid, and they were ready to receive the message that God was offering them a chance to repent and offering a chance to let them repent and he would forgive them before he was going to punish them and destroy them. Verse 6 says, When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he took off his royal robes. 
He dressed himself in burlap, and he sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Okay, so quickly before I read his decree. The king of Nineveh, that's an interesting statement because Nineveh is a city in Assyria. And so he would have been the king of Assyria living in Nineveh or having his, having the the his capital city, his his palace and his home in Nineveh. But he would have been the king of Assyria. And it was just fairly commonplace to be called then the, the king of Nineveh. So he hears he hears Jonah's message and he takes off his royal robes he gets down from the throne and he dresses himself in burlap and sits in ashes which is a sign a very public sign of grief of sorrow repentance so the whole the whole city it says that they are they have put on burlap they are covered in ashes the king is covering himself and sitting in ashes i mean they are very publicly grieving their behavior and turning their hearts back to God. And the king decrees not no one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike, they must wear garments of mourning. Everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all the violence. So as we began this episode, this this journey through Jonah, we talked at the very beginning about how the Assyrians at this time were very well known for their extreme cruelty and violence. So the king is admitting that here, like stop the violence, turn away from the violence. And then he says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now, this is where I said at the beginning that there's a word translation here that I disagree with how the New Living Translation is doing it. In verse 9 and in verse 10, there is this word uh, that it says, well, the king just said, perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. That word, change his mind, is actually the word in in Hebrew. I'm I'm not gonna pronounce it right, but but it's like nahum, nahem, and it means to relent, to repent, to have compassion on, to be moved to pity. So it means a number of things here, and pretty much every other translation if you look up verses 9 and 10 of Jonah chapter 3 and if you do a bible comparison on it on a, in a bible app you'll see that almost all other translations say that God will relent and then in verse 10 it says that God relented and the new living translation translated both of those instances as God will change his mind rather than relent but what it really is is that God is moved to pity, moved to compassion, and relents. He holds back his fierce anger, and he holds back from destroying. He does not carry out the threat that he had made. It's important to to make that distinction because we know that God 
does not change his mind. The scripture tells us that. So I'm going to go on and I'm going to read verse 10 because I didn't quite finish that. So I'm going to read Jonah 3 verse 10. Uh, Actually, I'm going to read 9 and 10 again. So I'm going to finish out what the king is saying, and then I'm going to make the final statement of verse 10. So the king finishes up his statement in verse 9 by saying, Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind, and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. All right, so what I want to focus on a little bit here is whether or not God can change his mind. Because, like I said, the New Living Translation has this translated, God changed his mind, this Nahum, and most translations translate it, God relented. Uh, It means to have pity on, take pity on, have compassion on, and relent. So, Can God change his mind the way the New Living Translation has it? Can God change his mind? One place that I think says it most clearly, well, the the place that I do think says it most clearly, (laughs) clearly, is in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not human that he should lie. He is not a human being that he should change his mind. So that makes it very, very clear that God does not change his mind. Uh, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there, who does not change like shifting shadows. Other translations say, in whom there is no variation or shadows. So there is no shifting shadows. There is no changing or shifting shadows in God. So if God does not change, does not change his mind, he does not change and he does not change his mind. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God does not change and he cannot change his mind. He does not change his mind. Because anytime you change your mind, it means that you thought one thing and then you learned new information and you now have come to realize that this option is better or this option is more accurate, or this option would be more fair. No matter the circumstance, it pretty much always would imply that you've learned something new. And God, God knows everything. God is perfectly knowledgeable all of the time. So it does not make sense for God to change his mind. So what is happening here then when God said that he is going to bring judgment upon Nineveh and then after the people repented, God did not. God chose not to bring upon the destruction. The same thing happens and a lot of times when people think that God does change their mind, a text that they go to is when Abram is arguing with God, or, or not really arguing with God, but pleading with God for, the, for God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram just keeps asking God, okay, God, if there are 50 people, will you spare the city? And God says, okay, if I find 50 people, I will spare the city. And then Abram, Abraham tries again. Okay, what if there are 40 people? Will you spare the city? What if there are 30 people? Will you spare the city? And they continue this conversation. And 
And sometimes people think that God is changing his mind. I do not see this at all as God changing his mind, but rather that God is keeping very consistent with what he has always said. God declares throughout the entire scripture, the whole of scripture, that when we repent of our sin, he forgives. He is ready to forgive. He wants to forgive. He is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in compassion and grace and love. The Lord tells Moses exactly this part of his character, which is the the core of his character. When Moses asks to see God and God allows part of himself to pass in front of Moses, he proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So he, the Lord is, this is the core of who he is. He is slow to anger and abounding in love and compassion. And he always, from in the pages of scripture, wants to offer forgiveness. When his people repents, he wants to offer forgiveness. He says in Second Chronicles 7.14, The Lord says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So this is who the Lord is. The Lord is a God who wants to forgive. The Lord is a God who has said, When you repent, when my people repent, I will forgive. That, that is the way it works with God. And so God is not changing his mind in Jonah. He's not changing his mind in Nineveh. He's not changing his mind with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not changing his mind at all through the pages of scripture. When God forgives and turns from whatever punishment he was going to give, it's because the people have repented. The people have sought God. Who have, They have humbled themselves and they have asked for forgiveness. They have turned away from their wicked ways and they have turned back towards God. And then God, being true to who he is, forgives because God is a forgiving God. God is a God who loves and shows mercy and shows compassion. James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That is true to the core of who God is. One of my favorite scriptures is 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The context of that verse is talking about the return of Christ and that, that it is, It seems like it's taking so long, but with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And then it goes on to say that the Lord is not slow. He's not being slow in returning. He's not being slow in keeping his promise that he will come back. Rather, he's being patient with us. Because why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And he wants to forgive and heal. That is who our God is. So what does this have to do with us? Everything. (laughs) It has everything to do with us. 
whether we are in the situation right now that we are in Jonah's place where the Lord is telling us, hey, there is a person or a people group that I want you to go to and I want you to give my grace and extend my forgiveness and ex- extend my mercy, extend my kindness and, and also my truth. Give them my truth. They need my truth. They are far from me. Go give them my truth. And if we're like, no way, they are, they are so far gone, God, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to waste my time. I don't want to go there. I don't want to listen. I'm not going to obey. Or if we are on the other side and it's us, if, if we're Nineveh in this situation and we are just hanging on to our sin because we want to and because we think we can and because pride has blinded us from the fact that that we are doing this on our own and we are just shutting out God and not living according to Jesus's way. Maybe we're Nineveh in this situation. Maybe we're Jonah in this situation. Whatever, whatever role we are playing right now, I think that all of us go through seasons where we are both. We are Nineveh and we are Jonah. We go through both of those seasons. And whatever season we're in, we need to know that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Uh, the return of Christ is coming. And we can, we can speed its coming, Peter says. We can hasten the day if we would preach repentance, preach forgiveness. If we would pray and ask and forgive and repent of our sin and preach the gospel and preach the message of mercy and grace and compassion and of our our wonderful forgiving God, if we would preach him, we could hasten the day. We could hasten the day that the Lord comes. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise and he is not changing his mind. The Lord does not change his mind. The Lord says, if you repent, I will forgive. That is who I am. I want to show mercy. I'm being patient with you. So who are you today? Are you Jonah today or are you Nineveh today? Whichever one you are, God is patient with you. God is patient with you. And he wants to forgive and he wants to heal and he wants to show mercy and he wants to show compassion. That is who our God is. And he desires to pour out his compassion upon you. Would you turn yourself to him? Would you turn yourself to this God who loves you so dearly and wants to pour out his compassion upon you? I think that's the message of Jonah chapter 3. Would we turn towards God? He wants to forgive. Let's see how Jonah responds as we go on to Jonah chapter 4 in our next episode. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.